Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. So if you want to explain who you are and and what you do on the side and then we'll we'll just go from there. Right, well I'm Tim Osborne and um, I have a day job but I also have interests and other things I do. One of them is guide walking which I started uh, around about eight years ago. Um, after I had a medical condition, I had a bit of time off, so I decided to do a guide walking course. And after that, I kind of developed a six to eight walks that I do. And uh, as a spin-off from that, um, uh, I ended up getting into um, paranormal investigations. Um, I was doing Myris gun battery daytime tours, World War II occupation tours, which is the main thing I do yeah. uh, and I had an idea to maybe do one called Ghosts of the Myers Battery and we started off we didn't know what we were really doing we were just kind of mucking about um, we the people that came on it that have since become my team we used to look at you know TV ghost programs and paranormal investigation programs that a lot of people have seen and we ended up getting interested and we decided to develop it well, I decided to develop it and uh, and it took off and uh, two and a half years later nearly um, we are established credible paranormal investigation team and we have our own um, YouTube channel and our Facebook page called uh, Paranormal Events Guernsey um, um, and, um, and the other thing I do is um, currently since lockdown trying to write music and record music but it's a bit difficult with my little one running about sometimes um <laughs> i released a song last may called lockdown uh, which you actually won an award for that didn't you i won an award for that i got four stars in the uk songwriting competition with a, a commendation um which apparently is really good for a first time um and um i've just been asked by a guy called cam kendorf um who is an already resident or his parents moved there many years ago and he was brought up there, but then he became interested in videos and films and he is, um, uh, or he lives in London with um, a load of filmmakers and he does his own vlogs, like small films on Alderney uh, with um, associated subjects. And uh, he got hold of me actually and said, well, I'd like to do one with him on the fortifications in Alderney because I have done Alderney occupation tours as well a couple of years ago. Uh, last year, things changed with the COVID. Yeah. Uh, and I said, yes. Um, so I'm waiting to go over to see him. I was supposed to be going over tomorrow, um, but I'm not now. Um, and um, he's asked me to, um, to talk about the fortifications, show him places, and he was going to make a... Um, you know, a 15, 20 minute video on this. And I decided a few days ago, maybe I would write a song about, um, about the people that lost their lives there. Documented 393 lost their lives there under the, um, under the, um, uh, the organization TOTE and the SS and and the way it was over there. And um, they think there's a lot more than that. um, Probably 700. Lager Silt, the camp camp over there. Lager Silt, yeah, Lager Nordenay, um, which is um, the Say Camp. Um, and then you've got two more camps. Um, the Lager Silt was run by the SS. Lager Nordenay did have SS attachment, I think. Um, but it was basically uh, the organisation Tote. 
at the OT. Um, they supplied labour. Um, yeah. Not unlike yourself, Ross, except you're not involved with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I don't put guns but, uh, to anyone's head either. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so they they supplied lots of labour and uh, and they oversaw them. Uh, and what actually happened is is that they had people that would oversee the prisoners. That the Germans would would make them you know make them do the work. Um, yeah. And they were quite cruel. Some of these people, even though they were the, even sometimes the same nationality as the prisoners themselves. Um, and it was a it was a question of survival. And uh, a lot lost their lives through not just being, there were some horror stories and people being shot and beaten and things, but a lot of it was just starvation, overwork, disease, illness. Um, and I just decided uh, oh. I would write um, uh, a song and I've, I've just started it. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's in memory of the people that lost their lives as yeah. a collective. Uh, and it's coming on. I hope it's going to be all right. And Cameron said that if it's good enough, he'll include that in his video. Can you play any of it, or is it uh, sort of on the wraps until for your clients? Um, I, I, well, it's difficult for you to. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, it's only kind of a couple of couple of instrument tracks at the moment. I'd be happy to do it in maybe a few days when there's a bit more. Okay. Um, it, but it's a nice chord structure. The lyrics um, lyrics are written. Uh, I can read you, not sing you. I can read you one of the, the first the first line. Okay except you don't know what it sounds like in the song, but there is an island whose beauty is well known, an island made in heaven, or so the story goes. That's verse one. Okay, good. It, it's basically a dedication to uh, to those uh, people that lost their lives there. So, um, and, and I've got other songs, hopefully I'm gonna do, if my work permits and my family permits with all the stuff to, you know, with family life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you're just like a, a big bucket full of stuff because you, you there's so much you can talk about with you um i mean i'll, I'll quick run through some uh some things now that i mean you, you've got your ghost tours you you do the uh the bonker tours and talk about the occupation you what are you uh, a historian or like a world war Two or a occupation uh fan not fan sorry that's completely the wrong word but um yeah what what is it that, that, that well, drives your interest in it is it more history in well, general i or? mean the interest started i mean my, my you know apart, apart from my interest i've had all my life like music and and, and airplanes and stuff like that um i got interested in world war ii and occupation about 25 years ago and i started collecting things yeah. a lot of it is i've sold now i've still got some documents and bits and pieces left and um so i've always been interested and then uh, uh, then i kind of you know learned more about about what actually happened in the islands especially guernsey and, and alderney and sarks they do sark tours as well a couple of times a year yeah uh, occupation tours and um yeah i've just got this interest in it um and uh, and i like what i like to do is take people on a tour or a walk and i like to not just talk about it i like to show them things you know this is what this is or this is what this represented or whatever it might be and actually show them something not just waffle on do you uh, actually take your own bits and pieces with you uh, no, I, a couple of times I have taken um, things. I've got a, a shell case, a large shell case, and, and various bits and pieces that I can show people. But generally, you know, for example, there might be a gun position at the beginning of the occupation before Hitler had decreed that they'd make the islands impregnable. And that's when the organization Tote the OT came in with all their labor force and they built all the 
main structures you see in yep. the islands before that period say from 1940 to about um uh, late 41 mid to late 41 the army construction units built stuff and, and it was all very basic a lot of them were very basic structures but you can still see for example where at Larae is one i do where you can um as you walk up the headland is like a big flat area which a lot of people wouldn't even think twice of but that was actually the site of the of the first coastal defense gun and right. literally just next to it is the bunker that they transferred that gun into when the order came to make the bunkers and to fortify the island so there's lots of things i can point out yeah i've worked in the um i, I used to work for the electorate years ago and we were putting services in on the place that makes the corner on the, the coast by the slipway at the bottom. Like, if you were coming back from Liu Car Park, you come down the hill, you've got a place on the left there. They've got tunnels that go through into the cliff, up into the, uh, we've actually been through them. You can see where they've drilled for dynamite in the ceiling. There's actually bats roosting in it now. So which uh, part is that again? Did you say? Um, if, you, if, you're, if you're going up to Liu, um, when you're coming back down, you come down the hill and you're coming towards the, the uh the shingle bank on your on your left the, the place that makes the bottom of the hill there by the slipway yes now i've, I've been there the, the chap that's got it invited uh, at the time i was working with feston guernsey on a saturday morning digging bunk you know clearing bunkers and that kind of stuff um yeah. several years ago and he invited us to look around his place and yeah he's got tunnels in there um yeah. that he uses um so the the area um was called Strongpoint Langenberg, oh, yeah, Strongpoint Fort Summary. Uh, and what the Germans did is at um, strategic places around the island, they had strong points. And, and that was one, for example, Langcrest is, is, uh, has got a strong point as well, and, and yeah. other ones around the coast. In between, they had resistance nests, and they were kind of all linked up. But Larray had the strong point. So they had um, uh, coastal defense guns, um, they had anti tank guns facing the beaches, facing the, where allied shipping basically would come into the beach yeah. um and so they housed the guns in these uh, um, emplacements with you know one and a half two meter thick concrete walls with the embrasures those square bits you see yeah. sometimes they've got steel in front of them. that's where the, the the barrel of the gun basically you know fired out of yeah uh, and um yeah so there were there were a little couple of tunnels up there uh, and there were minefields as well and right. i'm just about to write a story i've got the information on um, a pilot, a hurricane pilot, who was on a, a night patrol back in April 41, who ended up chasing a German. He took off from Exeter, ended up chasing a German back over France, realised he was at, ran out of fuel. And he ended up, um, just before his aircraft ran out of fuel, he bailed out and he actually landed safely on, on Liu. Right. The aircraft right. crashed in the sea. And I'm writing the story of what happened after that. And I've actually... Uh, been oh I've been talking to his daughter, his son-in-law. I've got lots of photographs. I'm just about to put that on my oh. Tim's Guided Walks Facebook page within the next week. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I mean, yeah. if anyone's listening, they're they're interested. Uh, as you, because I I was amazed uh, that because you can go in those tunnels. Like I say, if you're if you're driving from Perel going towards Liu, you've got the shingle bank on your right hand side, and straight in front of you there's the house next to the the slipway, and behind that house to the left hand side in in the hill. There's a tunnel that takes you back and then it's sort of dog legs underneath the big tower that you can see. And you can actually go all the way up into it. There's ladders and that set out in the uh, the, um, the tunnel sort of dog leg up into the, 
into the tower. I was I was amazed that they've they've actually managed to do that through through all the rock. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it's amazing what what they got done while they were here. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the tunnels, or at least a lot of the trenches and stuff, were were to were to connect, you know, various positions, and so they would have some protection for attack. Um, but you've got to remember, at the time this was going on, in say the most of the work went on in 42, 43. Those two years were the, were the was the largest amount of work done, uh, and um, back in the, at that time, um, it looked like the Germans were still going to win the war. It, that's mm -hmm. that was what was going on. That was the mentality. Um, the tide kind of changed, uh, you know, not long after that, but they were going to win, so they just built these structures everywhere. They wanted to make. Um, the Channel Islands uh, impregnable fortresses because Hitler wanted to use them um, when he won the war, he thought, to um, have the German population come over and have holidays in the islands. So it right. was going to be a holiday destination for the um, German people because it was, you know, the Channel Islands were their slice. It was Hitler's slice of Britain. That's what it was. Um, he yeah. never got to Britain. As you know, the Battle of Britain stopped that. Um, but the Channel Islands were the closest thing he got to Britain, and so he was going to keep them. That was his prize. Okay. With uh, just just a random question thrown in, Landcrest Wall, keep it or lose it? <laughs> well, I can see arguments on both sides, right? I'm not being different, but I'm being diplomatic right the second. Yes, I can see arguments on both sides. It's been there a long time. It served its purpose. You've still got tides and the sea rising around the world it's you know the ice is melting sea is rising ever so slowly but it is um, my feeling is it should be kept um, yes it needs some repair work um, doing to it uh, and people say it's an eyesore but it's it is what it is and people have got used to it and it serves a purpose um, and my feeling is probably just leave it but I can see the other side of the argument as well um, mm. but you know especially now Russ with the COVID situation and money's yeah. going to run pretty tight. We don't know how long it's going to go on. So really, I think at the moment, it's definitely got to be left. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I first met you, I think, um, in about 2009, 2010, something like that. You were living at the end of Damwet's Lane. I don't know if you're still there. Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. I, I remember you had German helmets uh, banged into the tree on of the oh. tree trunk, there's just randomly, like if you're driving past, there's there's German helmets <laughs> hanging off of the tree. <laughs> I'll tell you a little story, right. It started because I'd collected these, apart from nice helmets, good ones, I, I collected a few rusty ones. And I got uh, a couple from Calais that were on the found in the beach at Calais. Yeah. Um, another one I got from Thailand near the place called Bridge of the River Kwai. It was an American helmet. And the other helmet I got was a Russian one, and I was in Kiev. I went to Kiev one day in the street market, or well, quite a few years ago, and um, I was looking in the street, and I thought there was some bric-a-brac on this um, this guy's uh, this you know sort of desk thing, whatever it was, this tray, and uh, I noticed there was some war stuff in it, but I didn't really know what it was. But I noticed in a bag at the bottom, a white bag, a helmet in it. Right. I pointed like this. I can't speak Russian. Anyway, he out and showed it to me. And I tried to ask him some questions and a lady passing who spoke English heard me. So she translated and it, it was a, I've got it here. It's a Russian helmet that was found in his 
uh, well, the corner of his field, and it's got to be from the Battle of Kiev when the Russians came right. back and they came back from the east. So it's it's a nice piece of history. Um, and I decided to put these on this ash tree, Russ, which is what you remember. Yeah. Um, and then what actually happened one day is somebody nicked one of my helmets. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. They, so they were quite high up as well, weren't they? <laughs> but somebody climbed up. Um, and so I decided to take them down. And now they're still there, but they're um, they're on the top of my fence. It's very difficult to get to them on the back fence. So if, you, if you're going down um, Havilland Vale, you'll see yeah. them uh, on my fence. So there is a story to them. And I think um, that photographer, Georgie, George, whatever his name is, um, he took a photograph one yeah. day of, of his helmets on the tree and put it on his George's photograph page. And I know him and I said, oh, that's my place. And we had a little chat about it. But yeah, so you can see them now. Well, when um, obviously th this is intended to be lo loosely sort of based on uh, people's self-employed, their businesses being entrepreneurs and that, one, once COVID's over, is there anything that you think that the states could do better to help you promote, just to make your, your business better? You could be working with the states, I don't know. Um, there, there's a massive interest in... Uh, the World War II uh, memorabilia and, and, and actually what happened. And we've got a niche here. There's not that many places that the Germans actually no. occupied no. And, and put bunkers on and fortified and whatnot. Is there yeah. anything that the States could be doing? People are interested in history. I have um, uh, a German colleague at work and he's interested. I've, I've had a, a German colleague at work who actually he, um, I used to work with. He left about a year ago and he was really interested in it. You know, generations have moved on and so everyone's interested in what yeah. happened. Um, and there is an interest and certainly if I can just slightly digress in Alderney, I've, because I, I, I work there quite a lot, um, yeah. I've pushed it over there and I've mentioned it to a couple of more senior people and, and they actually agree. They think that, you know, it's a market to be tapped into yeah, because definitely. people are interested, especially only being a small island. But Guernsey, yeah, I think um, I think the states, you know, obviously the COVID situations might put some spanners in the works, but I think uh, people like myself and, and other people that do the same and also Feston Guernsey, they rely on, you know, um, they don't get money from the states. They have to try and make the money themselves. So people like that, you know, I think it's worth the states taking on board what they do and either promoting what they do, free advertising, you know, to England or to the mainland or wherever it might be. And, and little businesses like myself, it's only a little thing I've got, but and, and other people like me, there's one or two of us that I think, you know, would benefit, even if it was just, you know, giving us some ad, ad, advertisements, you know, advertising um, to bring people over here to spend yeah. the money in the hotel, to spend the money in the restaurants, um so yeah i think probably they could do a little bit more as i said things might have changed a bit though ross with the COVID situation at the moment 100 percent, obviously yeah but the, the the good thing with um the the military history the occupation history german history is that it, it it reaches a certain market that i don't think uh co like post covid will affect that much the, the people that are going to be interested in that, that they would travel here regardless of how much it costs to come here, I think. Um, mm. Obviously, if it costs thousands to come here, they'd probably think again. But, I mean, mm. the, the costs that it did cost to come here, I, I think that we could create a, a market out, out of the, uh, the German history here. I, I do think it, like you say, it, it's something that they, they really need to, to work hard on. Um, but the yeah. 
an, an idea I had was you. There's some stories that are pretty unique to Guernsey um, as well. You've got the old Hubert Nicol. He, he was the first commando. He did did the first commando commando raid because he came from Guernsey. They sent him here. Uh, what, what did he come in at um, Mullenwet? Something like that. Uh, he came in just after the occupation started. He came in twice. The second time, he gave himself up. Um, because his rendezvous didn't turn up the first time he got in and out and I knew her, Hubert Nicole from college right. um, and right. uh, he used to live next door to my grandparents so um, but he was the first he wasn't a highly trained commando he was just in the regiment but allegedly he's the first commando yeah uh, it was the first commando raid as such yes yes but it's um, a really interesting story I've got the book um, when uh, the first commando came home or something like that but it's, um, I thought what, what the island could do, what the government could do is commission a script uh, to create a, not a, a drama, something that people would be interested in watching, like a series that could be sold yeah. to a network like Netflix. To, mm -hmm. And it, it's just a rolling advert for the island. I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be filmed here, but the fact that that story happened here and um, the, the one in uh, Sark uh, as well, Operation Basalt, well, I, 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 when we go to Sark, the whole morning uh, of the day is me dedicated to doing basalt, and we follow the route of the commandos as near as we can do it. Um, I, um, there's one house that we can't go into anymore. I used to have permission, but he only gave it for a short time, so we follow that as well. But yeah, I mean, I did, um, I did a thing with Charlie, um, that uh, news reporter on Channel Television, Charlie, I can't remember his surname, but we did a thing on the commandos. We went to the end of uh, the hogs back we talked about it and yeah. there's no doubt about it that there would be I'm always busy on my SART tour um, I've got one in May <laughs> if it's still going to go ahead um, I'm always busy you know I'm, I'm kind of 30 people which is about the maximum I can take because people are just interested in this kind of thing and what makes that one special and so you can relate it to the Hubert Nickel one is we actually walk the route I mean pretty well exactly the route they took um, right one little section um hubert nicole came came ashore um and uh although we don't know the exact route he took we knew we know some of the route he took um but it could still be you could still you can make out the bits that you don't know for sure um yeah, and, uh, yeah because it was a very successful raid if you like because um he was asked to come over and tell and find out what how many germans were around what was happening and then to report back. So he yeah. got, got into a submarine from the south coast of England, came here, got in at night time, got away with it, did what he said, did a recce, had information passed him by the people, and he got back on his rendezvous. That was the first time he came, and it was a success. Um, second time, unfortunately, the rendezvous didn't turn up. He's with another another chap, and they eventually had to give themselves up. And, um, yeah, he was very lucky that he probably survived that because um, they were given a bit of a harsh beating in Paris in Chirashmidi prison um yeah. and um anyway long story but so ambrose sherwell who was bailiff after the occupation he did a deal with a high-ranking german officer and basically saved their lives yeah okay so moving on from the uh the occupation stuff your paranormal investigations have you have you caught any ghosts yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well we've got a youtube channel which i've just recently put together literally the last few days called 
oh, paranormal events, Guernsey or Peg, it's probably easier to remember it. And I've put everything we've ever filmed on there. I, I edit it, otherwise you'd be, there's a lot of stuff that's just boring, but I take the chunks, the good bits, and I put it into the, say, a particular session of, of a particular evening. So it's all on there. And we've had quite, quite a lot of people look at them already. Yes, we have caught a lot of stuff. Um, we've caught light anomalies now, We've also caught moths as well. You can tell a moth a mile away because it kind of flutters. But the other types of uh, light anomalies we got, um, allegedly, and this is what they say, are manifestations of spirits. I mean, you know, some people think it's a load of tosh. Some people believe it. I'm not here to convince anybody, but I know what I believe. Um, we've caught stick figures. We've got this very expensive camera that they use in TV programs that um, uh, basically it's an infrared software um uh, program with it on a tablet and it's based on the xbox um connect 3d software yeah. and what it can it, what it does it throws out tons and tons of red dots and it can pick up you or me as stick figures and you can see the shape around the stick figure but anything that's non-human it picks up if it's a human type shape it'll pick up as well except it hasn't got the outline to it and um it's supposed to be a spirit, spirit energy, ghost, call it whatever you want. We don't see anything. Sometimes you see light flashing around it, but you can actually see it. And sometimes it interacts with you. Sometimes you put your hand up and it will, it touches your hand and you can feel pins and needles in your hand. That's all you can feel like a pins <laughs> and needle. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you'd have to come and see for yourself, but um, yeah. And the other thing we do is some seances. We've got a medium, is on the team and we do seances and to be honest with you ross it's been so successful that uh people are expecting to come to speak to their mums dads and relatives and stuff and it right. does it happens all the time and I, I tell them not to come for that um uh, but it's it's incredible what we get absolutely incredible what we get that's all i can say really but if people want to see it it's out there on the youtube channel yeah that, that's interesting I remember years ago, uh, me and a friend of mine, Brett, we were uh, in art college to get, well, I say art college, just um, GMBQ art and design through, through the College of Further Education in Grange House. We were hardly ever there, but uh, <laughs> one day we were down at the uh, the old Myris battery having a mooch around and we, the, the place is just weird when you're in there. It's, it's circular and you, you've got rooms either side of you. And we were having a good old mooch around. And while we were in there, from one of the rooms, bearing in mind, this wasn't in the nighttime, it was in the day, but it, it, it would have been sort of early afternoon, probably. And we heard something drop in one of the rooms. We probably disturbed someone doing exactly the same as us, but it freaked us out. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll bugger off now. Yeah. Um, well, I think one of the things that, that's, that sticks in my mind in recent times we did um, a private, we do public tours once a month. A private, they've always booked up. When we, we, if you take COVID out of the situation, we're booked up till May. Um, but we do one a month. We also do corporate. And there's quite well-known companies that have had meetings with us. And we did one for a private event. And most of the people were builders, scaffolders, you know, um, manual labourer type guys that came along. Yeah, yeah. And some ladies as well. And we did... Um, tour with them and there was one guy i i just what i did at the start of the evening i showed them around the rooms and say this is what this room is in the, with the lights on so you can see what's what because with the lights off you can't see in front of your nose you really can't in the in the underground bunker at the morris and yeah. um anyway so I'm, I'm explaining this i'm getting towards the end of this and um, there was two guys together and they started laughing and i was explaining what the room was and then i was explaining what's happened in that room and 
I mean, I can understand from his point. He was a youngish guy and he was laughing. It was a joke to him. You know, he was like sniggering, yeah. laughing. And I said, all right, guys, you know. And with that, he suddenly stopped laughing. His face went changed, like serious. The laughing went. And I finished up a few minutes later. As he was walking out, he came up to me and the person I was with and said, I can't believe what just happened. And I said, what happened? This is true, by the way. Um, he said, just as I was laughing, something or someone grabbed his left ankle and pulled it backwards. Well, I did see him move, but at the time I didn't make, take much note of it. Pulled his left ankle backwards and there was no one there, of course, because there's no one behind him. It's just a wall. And it freaked him out a little bit. And I said, well, look, you know, I did say to you that you never, you know, you never know, you know, what's around. Maybe it's not, maybe this is somebody saying, don't take the mickey. Yeah. And that was his left foot. And later on, this same guy was in a room being filmed. It's on camera. It's on YouTube. And he suddenly says, my left leg is the same leg. My left leg and my left foot's gone cold. And the lady was filming, our medium was filming, and she kind of panned down to his legs and feet. And what you can see, just after he says, oh, my left leg's gone cold, you see this white light anomaly come out of his foot, fly up like this, in a, almost in a straight line and pass the camera. And that's on your YouTube? That's on YouTube. Yeah. Promote it. What was it again? Uh, uh, this was, uh, I think, the session on the uh, in November. I think it was the seventh of November. This one. Now your YouTube channel. What's it called again? It's called Paranormal Events Guernsey. Right. Okay. There you go. Uh, what I'm just going to do now, as I'm talking to you, is just see now because it's right here. Let's see if I can find out which one it is. Um, can you still see me? Yeah. Yeah. I can see you, mate. Uh, I'll just find it. Pause. Um, yeah, no, it was the 3rd of October, 2020. Okay, that's for anyone yeah, it's, that's listening. It's, it's about three or four now, and the bit uh, that's on it is, um, it's got um, on the on the headline, you'll see oh, like the, Morris, the 3rd of October, orb out of left foot or something. <laughs> Very creative. <laughs> okay, the other thing, um, you were... I mean, I'm not here Sorry? No, I said, I'm not here to convince anybody. And um, I uh, people have got their different beliefs. And, you know, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I've experienced things that I can't explain. Um, so I've got an open mind. I, I have too, mate, to be fair. I mean, e even in our house, which it wasn't built that long ago, it was only built in the early 70s, I think. But th there's no one else in the house. And you, you'll be in the living room and you'll hear something like the dog and the cat be in the living room there'd be no one else in the kitchen and something will fall on the deck or uh, be moved around and my partner especially because she lost her dad in 2014 every time she's a robin like it's it does seem odd like the, the times that these things happen and well I'm, I, I'm not against anyone believing anything because uh, mm. I don't know no one knows but, but yeah you mentioned the animals and it's it, I mean it is a it's well known that animals, normally cats and dogs in the house, of course, um, can pick up things we can't. They're, they're much more sensitive to, to things and um, they react. Um, and if, if you see your dog or your cat or whatever looking into the corner of your room with no one there, but you can see maybe its ears are backwards, it's yellow pink or something, you can be pretty sure that it's sensed something ahead of it that you can't see or can't yeah. hear, but it can. Well, what else I wanted to mention um, 
is your campaign for the nice drugs for uh, with are you part of the health equality forum um yeah i'm i'm, I'm here at the heel group yeah yes i am um we've got uh, mike reed as our chairperson who's excellent i um, mean he's just a natural um I was probably one of the first people, in fact, I got a hold of Peter Roffey um, at the time, but going back, what, about two, three, three years ago, um, I got hold of um, Peter because uh, I was in a situation where I've got a, I've got a medical condition. Um, Is it chronic but, lymphocytic leukaemia? Yeah, I've got, I've got leukaemia. I've had it for 11 years. Uh, I, don't, I know I don't look as if I've got it, but um, I've had medication. I've had chemo in the past. I've on medication um, on the last five years, which is basically one tablet a day keeps it away so yeah fingers crossed i'm okay but at the time when my first treatment was kind of failing which it does after a while it comes back the drug that was recommended to be by my consultants in southampton um he thought that guernsey would pay it and when i asked the question to my the oncologist he said uh, we don't do it anymore and, and i delved a bit deeper and i realized that um when i first had the treatment Guernsey Health, uh, whatever we were called then, the health department, they used to pay everything. But with the financial transformation program, a lot of it had been whittled away. And it was my case that brought it up. And, excuse me, Peter Roffey took it under his belt with Jennifer Merritt, um, an issue to find out what was going on. And, and basically what has actually happened is that um, a lot of drugs, we hadn't kept up. We hadn't kept up. We, we were still giving old chemotherapy type drugs but we weren't taking on the new treatments that the nhs were paying for so right. as peter said to in his interview on tv one day me tim i could be sat next to in a chair at southampton hospital um and there's a guy next to me who's having treatment under the nhs with the latest drug and i'm having old style treatment that yeah. prognosis isn't very good with it why should that be so next minute it snowballed and uh, more people came out the woodwork after i'd been on television talking about it and um mike came on as chairman and we you know under mike's and peter's push and jennifer's push we managed to get the states to basically say right enough is enough and heidi Salisbury at the time was there let's let's change that situation and let's start getting some drugs back that we need and that are effective and give people you know much better life quality and a lot longer life as well yeah, I just had to search it, I'll be honest, because I, I didn't 100% know what NICE stands for. But for anyone listening, NICE doesn't just mean, are they NICE drugs? It's uh, It stands for the National Institute for Health and Care. It's a bunch of experts in England, and they are highly qualified people. And they uh, examine and, and and look at all the data from different drugs. And, um, you know, if they approve something, you can, be, you can be sure that it's been looked at in every single way. Mm. Um uh, and you know they totally think it's it's without doubt worth putting out there for people to take you know well i, I think cancer um, drugs ross yeah yeah i mean my, my partner she she lost her dad to, um to cancer in the end and i think his treatment was costing something like thirty thousand pound a time but that's what we were told at the time i mean it's crazy people don't understand how much these things cost but very um, expensive I think what our island has demonstrated over the last year is that we don't think of uh, wealth before health with the way that we lock down hard. Okay, what's happened lately is a bit of an anomaly. They've got to figure out what's happened there. But with what they've done now, it should be under control within the next few weeks, hopefully, and we could be back to where we were in a month's time. 
but um, it'd be nice to know that they'd be committed to that funding for the nice drugs for the same things, for the same reasons. Yeah, I mean, they, all I can say is it's, it's one of those things is that people only really know when something happens to them. And um, let's face it, you know, if, if you became ill or, you know, your, your other half or whatever it might be, you know, you would want the best treatment possible. You would. Yeah, and it's natural to do that. Uh, there's also a cost to it, but um, we were in a situation where we weren't, we were so far behind, you know, we were way down the table for a, an island that purports to be a wealthy place. And we, 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 we advertise ourselves to wealthy people come and live here and all the rest of it that goes on with that. Um, and there was a bit of a discrepancy in the whole thing. So I hope now we're climbing back up that ladder slowly um the covid situation has put a bit a little bit of a spanner in the work with this but um mm -hmm. i understand from the last emails i got is that we are on track to you know to start funding drugs and my drug was one of the first actually um a drug called ibrutinib which is for various um uh, blood cancers or blood conditions and you know you think about it in the old style thing if you were lucky you'd have chemotherapy which can make you sick and ill although i wasn't yeah. really getting do and you've got months of that or you can take a pill a day or two pills a day depending on what the medication is and it does it keeps your illness or your condition at bay best yeah. it might get rid of it but at bay and you just live literally a normal life i you know i've got a pilot medical that's my job so i'm, I'm flying commercially it doesn't interfere with that so i'm very thankful to to you know uh, to peter to jennifer to heidi and various people for turning this corner because it's not just me it's loads of other people and it's heart drugs not just cancer drugs right it's heart drugs yeah. and diabetes drugs you name it yeah. when 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 you're a government and you're trying to sell an island for wealthy people to come and live i mean the the covid thing looks good but it's it's got to go with, along with it that um that they're willing to spend the money on their people's health as well out of interest, I, I won't go on about it, but what did you think about the GC math thing? Well, um, I tried it. Um, yeah? Yeah, I think I think I'd, I'd just had the, I'd had the chemotherapy, so I was in what they call remission, and uh, it was offered to me, and I did try it um, to see how it would go, and nothing actually happened. So at, at best, or at worst, um, I was, you know, it didn't make a difference to me. Um, when I when you say like, you tried it, though, how, I mean, did you take yeah, it over I, I, for a long period? Or? Basically, you, you know, um, I mean, we know, we know what's happened since and, and all the rest of it, but it's just, yeah. you, you, it's injected into your leg and it's, a, it's supposed to be tied up with your immune system. And um, I thought at the time that it was a good offer for people over here. Um, you it, know, was, it, was free, it was free, wasn't it? It was free it was for free. Guernsey residents. And, you know, even... You know, having seen people, you know, more in Southampton than here, how bad people have been, it, if if it gave people hope, exactly, that was a big thing. Hope, hope is a big thing in your situation. It is. The end of your life. Hope. Even is if, thing. even if you've got a family member that's dying and you know they're dying, if you know that they've got that little bit of hope that something's given to them, it gives you that peace of mind that they're they're not miserable. They no. they they. They still think that there's something, and there was the chance with it. I do know people that were taking it, and I do know they had benefits from it. Yeah. And the guy that was fronting it was probably the wrong guy to front it. Definitely. But, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I met did. him a few times, but yeah, I did say his the, his partner said to me. I said to him one day, I said, "This guy, it's it's what you're doing is 
you know, at the time I said, it's actually quite good and, and for all these reasons, but I said, you need someone else to market this and to yeah. and do it. Yeah, you're right, Ross. Yeah. It's such a shame. I mean, the island wants new, um, new industries here and, and new uh, economy benefiters. And I mean, they, they were putting apparently 3 million in, into our economy every year. And they, because, I don't know if it was just because of him or you hear the, uh, I won't be as rude as to call them conspiracy theorists, because obviously pharmacy companies will have a, a vested interest against these uh, these different yes. treatments. But yeah. there's loads of different reasons why he potentially, and and he was, his uh, his personality could have been just a scapegoat to, to remove yeah. them. But it, it is sad because it, it was benefiting people. It, it wasn't long after that that um, 100 people that were reliant on it actually passed away yeah. because their, their, um, their stocks just reduced and, yeah. and disappeared in the end. And I, I didn't agree with that, and I, and I still don't. And I, I know I'll get hammered for that on so, some sectors of social media, but unless you actually know someone that was benefiting from it, and you saw the hope, like you mentioned, that it gave them. You, you don't really fully understand it. Well, I met a lady who had, it was the second time she had breast cancer and the diagnosis the second time um, was dire, basically. So in desperate, she was basically said nothing could help her. Uh, and I've talked to her, not recently in the past, and um, she decided to take this GCMAF and basically it went doctors couldn't explain it and when she explained what she'd been doing they said well we don't believe it's that you know it's, yeah. it's those things where miracle call it what you want yeah. but she, she is convinced and to this day she's convinced that it was the gc math that saved her life now i know it didn't happen in every case um and i think you know like you said conspiracy theories but you know um biotech companies and pharmaceutical companies carry big weight you know they're yeah. big they're yeah. very big and uh, and so and it just so happens that one of the deputies at the time that was an actual pharmacist. Yeah. That's, that's right. So, you know, um, yeah, I don't want to get into arguments with people uh, on this. You know, people can think they want, you know, I've been around long enough in this earth to think that, uh, you know, sometimes people don't want other people muscling in <laughs> um, uh, for various reasons. But, uh, you know, I it was a shame to see it go because even if it was, even if it didn't work, Russ, and it was just gave those people who were in the final stage of their life a bit of hope. It was better than nothing. And I know because I've never been in that situation, but I've I know through my condition how I would feel in that um, in that what you said before is absolutely totally correct. Yeah, I mean, had had I been in the states myself at that time, I'd have pushed. I'd have said, look, okay, we might not agree with the way this company is operating. We might not agree with this person and his personality. But let's work with them. Let, let's help them do the correct thing. Let's help them create a world-leading product. Uh, almost like it's almost a miracle cure. Like you say about that woman before. I know someone that had a scan and there was a certain scarring had completely disappeared, and the doctors couldn't figure it out. But the person couldn't say anything about it because if he had of that would have been his treatment removed, all, all the other treatment. But um, yeah, it's just a real shame that the uh, no one had the foresight to see the opportunity that it, it could have had for the island and said, right, look, okay, even if they shot him down for until they got everything right, but 
and before everything went too far. But I think there was in the end, it was a definite, we're going to hunt you down, you know, whatever, you know. Um, and it was, a, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't, I knew him, but not that well personally. Um, you know, uh, he, yes, he wasn't the right man for the job, but because he, you know, he's not, they weren't even the only supplier of it, were they? I mean, there are other suppliers now elsewhere in the world. Um, I actually don't know that, Ross. I, I know that he had a very successful, they had a very successful clinic in, um, was it Switzerland? I think it was. And uh, they'd had lots of success. And, and I actually uh, had, uh, had a telephone conversation with one of their um, people that had been there. And again, he was, he was, he was, he, I don't know if he was cured, but he was, uh, he was in remission from quite a serious cancer. And he used it as a last ditch attempt. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah I, I just feel that um, the, the gun, the guns were out for him. I don't know all the technicalities of it. I don't want to get involved with, you know, um, no. people that might be listening to this who might be have certain points of view that, that, that maybe there are other things. But I think there was a definite move to shut it down, to get rid of it, to quiet it down. And um, with that, with that, some, so, you know, some people had their had hope taken away from them. Yeah, I mean, there, there'll be people going through exactly the same thing. Now I'm just thinking about that and they'll be listening to this and they'll probably go searching for, for things. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's up to each individual to find out for themselves. But I've probably gone on a bit too long about that now. Well, um, the, the other thing is, is Ross, is that I, I, I want to say that I'm not taking it away from modern drugs because they do a fantastic job and I'm living proof yeah. that a, a, tablet, a certain tablet can give me a normal life and I've got a family and I can look after them like a work and blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, so there's nothing wrong. Of course there's nothing wrong, but the, you know, the modern drugs these days are fantastic in some cancers and other conditions, you know, which I've got now, um, I wouldn't say they're minor, but medication now makes them much less serious. Um, yeah. This was just, that was just an extra, uh, you know, um, an extra thing, an extra, what do you call it, arrow in the quiver, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let, let's talk about um, your your day job. You're a pilot for Aurini. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When did you get into that? 32 years ago. Oh, right. Yeah, long time. Old mate. Um, yeah, well, there's only two things I wanted to do at school. One was music, one was um, flying. Nothing else interested me. I tried the music bit. I worked for a guy called, um, well, he was a famous record producer at the time for, called Mickey Most. He was a record producer for RAK Records. So I worked with him uh, in his studio um, for a bit because I used to, you know, I still play the keyboards and stuff and tinker on the guitar, what have you. And um, so I, I did all that. And then for various reasons, I ended up. Um, uh, leaving London I actually became ill with something else I needed an operation so that all fell by the wayside and then um, I ended up going joining the police force in London for a bit um, right. yeah yeah in um, yeah, when the Rick Brixton riots were on um, I was just going to ask that exact question just yeah. <laughs> that was uh, uh, you out with the Black Mariahs they, no, no. I was uh, I was just out of training school, and they uh, we were kind of a, a reserve to to running with our shields and stuff. And um, I, think, anyway. I think we should point out a Black Mariah as a is uh, a van. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I did what three or four years there, and then um, then I I, I went to Australia for a year traveling around, and then uh, I thought I'd try and get myself uh, to start saving up some money to become you know pilot training, and uh, I I went around to various banks at the time. 
put in my case and it was one bank manager he's he's not a bank manager anymore i still see him around um for, it was a tsb bank at the time and he listened to what i said and he lent me the money and uh i trained up and you know started commercial flying well instructing commercial flying in um about 1980 80, well, uh, no 1990 1991 um so uh yeah i was with flyby for 17 years and i've been with our local airline for the last what 13 years or whatever right okay so why did you start with the um the the tours was it through uh just just your own self-interest or you yeah, wanted yeah, to start yeah, off something was, yeah it was just something because it was my interest basically I, as i said i had a i'd had a couple of years off work for treatment and in that time i did a couple of things i did at as levels in history and and archaeology and i did this course in um um uh, guide walking a bronze guide i'm a silver guide now and i just decided that i would um, try and use that to maybe try a couple of tours out and um you know they've been quite successful I mean, there's plenty of other good guys out there uh, in guernsey and um but um i hope i've got a little niche in what i do you know i do the sark occupation tour i do all the occupation and that was very successful a couple of years ago um so it just came about with with interest and um you know, it doesn't conflict with my work. It's totally separate. Um, and you get to you put know. your flyers out on the seats, eh? <laughs> I <can't. laughs> uh, they'd probably say something about that. No, I, uh, <laughs> no, that's a good idea, though. <laughs> this is your captain speaking. There will be an occupation tour. With... <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you look on your right, you'll see that. that, uh, that <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I don't kind of uh, mix it with the work. I mean, I do get some people actually I work with that have come on my tours. I um, found it quite fascinating because they didn't know much about it before. Um, it's, you know, I like history, Ross. I like I like to go on tours. I like to learn about things. And I think the older you get, the more you want to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, You're an intelligent guy, mate. I mean, it's beneficial for me to know people like you. <laughs> Hopefully right. it rubs off. I've, I've, you know, I'm sure my my partner wouldn't say that if, it's, if we have an argument with the kids or something. Um, but um, no. How, how uh, is your little boy? Because he's he's a year almost a year younger than mine. Mine uh, Otis is four in uh, beginning of February. Yours uh, Zach's just turned three, hasn't he? Zach Zach has turned um, yeah Zach turned three on this last weekend. And yeah. um, should I get this up? And he's um, there he is. That's him. No more uh, OTs for a few weeks. Um, I have to say, because I'm quite old, Russ, and so um, my partner's quite a bit younger than me, so it's been a quite a tough wake-up call for me. I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm knackered all the time. I'm tired. Yeah, same here, mate. Same here. Somebody said to me once that you you don't know sleep deprivation till you have a child. You have a child. <laughs> yeah. Well, o Otis, oh, I've like I was hoping to do like two or three of these today. I managed to do one and I've, I've managed to get this one done. And it was only luckily because he's preoccupied with his mum at the moment, giving her probably a hard time. Although I can't, it's not coming through on the microphone. When I've seen you out before, I've noticed, um, you know, he, if you I'm start not allowed to, to talk to anyone, he, eh? <laughs> yeah, he, just, he doesn't like, he doesn't want to let you talk to anyone. He just grabs hold of you. And, yeah. 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 Um, <sighs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So life is good at the moment, and um, I just hope that um, you know the drugs keep working. I can still look after the family, enjoy my time. 
I want to finish this song. Um, it's going to be called Island in the Sea, I think I'm going to call it. And hopefully, if Cam, Cam Kendoff, who does these um, vlogs, um, he wants to be a proper film producer and everything. And yeah. he's, he, his, his, his videos, his vlogs are excellent. If you want to Google it, I think it's called Cam Logs is his little okay. company. And they're honestly, they're really good, Russ. Um, what, what I'll it, do, when, when I post this one up, I'll tag you in it. And then, um, well, if you wanted to give me any anything to add into it, um, any links or whatever, I, I can do that that benefit you. I, I want to add as well that I've, I've told people this is purely for small businesses and um, it's to help them during lockdown and that. You know, you've got a pretty well-paying job and you, you can still work. But what I will say is that I have offered this to a few people, family included, and friends that, that if they wanted it, they can have it. It's just... Just a bit of fun, nothing else to do in lockdown. No one's working, yeah. apart from you. <laughs> well, but. yes, we are working, except um, um, I've, I've, I've just heard today, in fact, I think there was an announcement at 8.30 this evening in Alderney on their local station that Alderney are bringing in uh, quite tight controls. Right, okay. Uh, I think uh, they're thinking about um, making people isolate in Alderney when they, even people from Guernsey, not coming through the mainland. So things are going to change. Yeah. And well, I don't blame know, them, we... to be fair. But yeah, it was just to add that I have offered this to um, close friends and, and family that are running their own business and they, they're not that interested. And, and you were, so you, you got it, as well as uh, Paul that I've already yeah. done from, from uh, Richmond Kiosk. But well, I, think, just... I, you know, I think that's a great little thing you're doing ross because you know um like i said lockdown people people are a lot more restricted maybe people work from home maybe some people aren't working at all and yeah i like looking at stuff so if i don't know if people get any entertainment out of what i've said tonight or what you said to me or whatever it might be that'd be great um and, and yeah. other people that you interview, um yeah you know, because... i mean it's it's pretty easy um with you because i know quite a bit about your your backstory and things like that and i, I know you've got loads of stuff that you could talk for hours on but um like i say mm. we, we put some content out now and i hope people appreciate it and they found it interesting yeah but, uh, i appreciate you asking me ross and um you know uh, that's really great and and you're easy to talk to and, and i hope that um other people take this up because um you know it, it, it's just extra interesting stuff out there you know um yeah, yeah there is a, there is a lack of local content out there and I'm, I'm hoping what this doesn't trigger is a load of uh copycats rivals and things like that and just water it down and i, I want all the action for myself you know yeah well, <laughs> you deserve it yeah you've done boxing before beat them off or whatever you know <laughs> yeah you but could no, phrase that a better mate <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, you know, I mean, you are you are a bit of an entrepreneur yourself, aren't you? You know, you've, you've started businesses. I mean, I would love to start my own business, but yeah, proper if a work business, but I'm too old. Yeah, for but you it, have but, though, uh, Tim. If if the if the tourism industry was what it was, you'd be inundated every day with what you do. Well, if it was what it was, you know, I don't know if it's going to. And to be honest with you, you know, this COVID thing is going to have an effect for quite some time. You know, cruise ships aren't going to come in this year, and I very much doubt it'd be next year. I might be wrong. Um, I would like to think that you know we can get um, um, a, a tourist. You've still got a local. Them. You've still got a local customer base though, and this is selling to them. Yeah, well, actually, last year um, it was all locals, and I did my numbers were really high. You know, the Morris Battery tour. I do. I do the occupation of Luray, Pembroke, Lancres, Jerburg, um, 
and I do the Sark and Ordinary. Um, so there was enough to keep me going, but I was I was busy on all, all of them, apart from one one day, but they were all pretty busy, yeah. Right, anyway, mate, I've, I've just heard my name being screamed by the little yeah, one. I've got to have my dinner as well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You go and enjoy your glass of wine or coffee or whatever you're having, mate. I'm going to yeah, go and have a rum, I think. Green tea, green tea for me. Green tea, you're nice and healthy, I'm not. All right, mate, nice one. <laughs> cheers for that, Tim, I appreciate right, it. Thanks for that. Yeah, nice take one. care, eh? Cheers, bye-bye. Right, we hope you enjoyed listening to Labour Force Chat and tune in next time. Cheers.